Hello and welcome to the Interfish Podcast, where we discuss the most compelling and controversial topics in seafood. I'm your host, Editorial Director Drew Cherry, and I'm here with Executive Editor John Fiorillo and Reporter Kim Tran. Hi, folks. Hello, Drew. Hi, Drew. So, we've got a lot to talk about. So, let's start this episode off with Boston. It's been about a month since the show, but we've been busy here at Interfish. And, John, maybe we can just talk a bit about the, the takeaways um, what were some of your impressions about this year's show? Anything that jumped out at you? Well, I mean, my first impression is it was a uh, it was a very strong show. I thought the attendance looked, um, you know, robust and and strong, and there were more booths than I can recall in a long time. So uh, that's good. Um, as far as the seafood side of everything, um, I was kind of blown away by all the skin pack product out there. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it seems everybody, not everybody, that's an exaggeration, but there is a lot of uh, effort going into that uh, direction as far as packaging and merchandising at retail. The folks at Sealed Air who make a lot of the breathable film that is used um, had some really interesting things to say as far as the, the, the pickup in this technology over the last couple of years. So, you know, I'm a big fan of kind of scaling back the fresh seafood case at retail and using yeah. this chilled skin pack stuff, um, portions and grab and go. And I, I was pretty happy to see that. I also saw quite a bit of uh, poking around with poke, especially from the salmon guys. I saw a number of them had uh, poke product. Uh, kind of, it looked like they were in the initial stages of developing it because some of it, you know, probably needed to be worked a little bit better. But uh, that was interesting. And yeah, those are some of the highlights I I, uh, I saw. A lot more. It was kind of funny. I didn't see a lot of eco label energy out there. It seemed the uh, the appetite for all that seemed a little muted to me so um yeah i I, well i you know on the new products front i thought this year it was actually more interesting than it's been in years past that's nice to see there were some uh i think some really original ideas out there um i know john you were a fan of acme's uh smoked uh salmon sashimi yeah i'll say new products in general uh john i you know there was i think uh, more unique and original items than I'd seen in past shows. So it was nice to see that people seem to be going out on a limb and there's, there are products there that are, <laughs> that are probably doomed to failure, but, but it's nice to see people stretching themselves a little bit. Um, the other thing that I noticed too, uh, were a lot more brands, a lot of companies I think are realizing that they, they are just not going to make it playing in the commodity sphere, in particular salmon. Um, we had uh, uh, an event where we uh, hosted the Chilean Salmon Marketing Council, and they talked about positioning Chilean salmon uh, in a new way. Um, John, do you think they're going to be able to pull it off? Um, you know, that that's a big... Chilean salmon has so long been a commodity. I saw a lot of companies developing their own brands, which is also promising. But in terms of developing uh, a preference for Chilean salmon, what what do you think? You know, I, I know they're working on a, a new campaign to develop that and, you know, try and make that happen. 
I think it's, you know, there's a lot of work in front of them. Uh, There's no doubt that it has been a commodity product. But let's not forget who created the pin bone out fillet and revolutionized the retail market uh, from that point of view. And that that was Chile. So they have it in their DNA to kind of uh, make a big shift um, that's more consumer focused if they if they can do it. But it's a it's a tough business right now. I mean, you you mentioned a lot of brands. That's a blessing and a curse because what name me a single dominant seafood brand. I mean, Gorton's in the freezer case. Ugh, that's about it. I mean, there are a lot out there, and there are a lot of very good ones. But to get that momentum and control, you know, market share, mm, kind of tough. But you know, we'll see. Yeah, I mean, I one thing I saw that you mentioned the skin packs, and I think that that one company that did stand out was Cook. Um, not only does Cook have an incredibly diversified uh, raw material resource now with all the the companies they've acquired, uh, they also seem to have kind of a a new interesting positioning with True North Seafoods, and just at their booth, the array of products there both wild and farmed was pretty encouraging to me to see wild salmon skin packs, to see Alaska Pollock skin packs next to, uh, next to farm salmon products, next to smoked salmon. I think that they are hitting on a model that might be working. And I think, I think the approach of finding a brand to, to stretch across multiple products uh, is going to be successful, but nobody's really pulled that off. It's tended to be kind of niche uh, brands for particular kinds of salmon or particular locations, um, or as you said, just particular uh, parts of the retail store, like the freezer case. Uh, so I was encouraged by that, and uh, and I think they're they're possibly onto onto something uh, something good there. Yeah, I. I like a lot of what cook is doing right now and um we'll, we'll you know we'll have to see they they've grown quite a bit and the question remains is how long that takes to absorb all that growth and get all the quote-unquote synergy out of it but um it's fairly impressive what they've done in the last few years yeah well okay let's pivot a bit to the wild salmon season because it's fast upon us uh, Kim, you just covered some of this, so give us a rundown, uh, just the basics on where where we are in Southeast with the pink salmon runs and what the Copper River sockeye run is looking like this year, because it's, it's going to be uh, a very interesting year for wild salmon. Yeah, so this year is shaping up to look quite different from last year for the Alaska wild salmon season. The projections this year in the Prince William Sound, it's actually four times more than what fishermen harvested last year. The Alaska Department of Fish and Game, um, their harvest projection is 63.7 million salmon. Most of that is pink salmon, 59 million, which is six times more than what fishermen caught last year in the Prince William Sound. Um, However, looking over at the Copper River, it's a completely different story over there. The harvest projection is 1.1 million fish, and it's 32% less than what the fishermen caught last year. In southeast Alaska, the king salmon quota was cut 41% compared to last year. And about three-quarters of that is 
allocated to troll fishery. It'll definitely be interesting to see how this year's wild salmon season plays out. Yeah, so the wild salmon season is going to be very, very interesting. Now, I'm going to go out, and I, I know John's probably going to disagree with me, and there's there's certainly a bias here, but when you have the Copper River uh, run down so low, um, you're going to see these prices just spike to, to massive levels, and it's just going to be out of reach. Um, Copper River, it just does not seem to ever slow down though as a phenomenon but i know the the bristol bay uh, regional seafood development association is trying to put some effort into marketing bristol bay salmon maybe it's not the next copper river but john i i think there's some traction here again there's a bias but i really do think that this uh that, that these efforts for these different regions around alaska could pay off if they do them right but we we've seen these come and go right we have, although the Bristol Bay one, you know, I think they just completed a pilot project last year in Colorado, and yeah. uh, they had a lengthy report about it, and everybody should take a read on it because it's it's very good information as far as creating a campaign like that and, and what's involved. One thing that struck me in the report was um, the retailers were not as uh, hmm, helpful as you would think they would be. Um, and I think that was a learning curve for the Bristol Bay guys. And I, I think they can overcome that as they expand this program, but that surprised me a little bit. Um, but anyways, read, read the report because, uh, uh, there's a lot of good, good knowledge in there if you're interested in marketing, but you know, I, I, we can, we can talk about Copper River until the cows come home, but it's it's successful. It will always be successful, as, at least in the near term, as far as I can see. And yeah, you're pricing out the average person at the grocery store, but there's this gigantic food service market for it that people, you know, they go out to dinner and it's $39 a plate. Oh, okay. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, just, just talking about Bristol Bay, um, you know, there, there's a lot of there's a lot of movement going on in the Bay right now. Uh, a lot of things happening with, uh, ocean beauty, obviously cooks in the area and cook seems to always be looking for, for acquisitions. Um, bicycle, all of these companies, Peter Pan, there's, there's some shifts happening here. And John, you kind of hit on this a bit and I know you're going to tackle this in a column as well, but do you, do you see some kind of seismic change happening here in the Bay? And if we are going to move toward more value-added products or more fresh on the domestic market, how is that going to change things? And who do you think ends up winning after all this? You know, I wish I could tell you that. I did notice there was a processing report uh, released uh, this week or recently. And you look at the increase in chilled product coming out of the Bay last year. It was phenomenal. So, um, assuming that that is the beginning of a trend, or you know, the trend will continue uh, this year, that you know, that gives you a shift. That shows you there could be a shift going on. I mean, the traditional canning guys, you know, the Peter Pans and and those guys, um, it's gotta it's gotta be tough for them. Um, I I don't think I'd want to be in the canned salmon business. I don't see it growing you know everything shows that it's shrinking um and these guys have been hit 
you know, last year was tough on, on salmon companies. And if you're in Pollock, it was tough on you there, too. So, you know, money's probably getting tight for some of these guys, I would imagine. I mean, do you think it's as, as simple? Or I don't think Cook thinks it's simple. But do you think coming in as a farm salmon producer, does Cook come in and sort of revolutionize things and turn things on its head uh, and, and become kind of a leader there? Or do they fumble and drop the ball when they start to realize just what a, a mess the wild salmon uh, sector in, in the Bay can be? Yeah, I mean, that that's a great question because they are probably already learning a little bit about how complicated the wild salmon um, supply chain is. And they're going to learn more directly as the season commences. But, you know, I'm... I'm, on the other hand, I'm really encouraged to see some fresh eyes come in to that segment and maybe maybe be able to make some changes. But the bay is so tough when all the fish come in in a very short period of time and, you know, they have to be moved somehow, some way. So I think it's too early to know, but um, it's definitely, uh, I, I, I see it as a positive development. Yeah, I mean, I, I think between them and Silver Bay, there's been there's been a lot of shakeups, and that's not bad. Uh, I don't think that's bad at all because I, I think there's been uh, maybe a reluctance to do things differently, and and maybe some uh, you know, a little bit of a sense that, that that some of the companies have been on autopilot in the Bay, and it's just too good of a resource um, to not do uh, to do more with. And it, yeah, there's some some very very serious real. Uh, logistics issues, um, but that doesn't mean that that those can't be overcome. Um, you know, a lot of the seafood world faces ridiculous logistics, so they they can be overcome. Well, let's not let's not um, forget that the processors don't bear the full brunt in this. Bristol Bay has been for a long while at the fisherman level a tough place to make some changes, and I mean changes as basic as ice icing the fish. So. Um, it starts at the very beginning of this process and it's not all on the processors, you know, I mean, they can move product, but if it wasn't handled correctly from the beginning, eh, you know, it's not going to be very good at the end. Yeah. Uh, you know, we spoke about Boston drew, but, uh, right around the corner is Brussels. And, um, I'm curious what you think about what issues will be focused on during that during that show yeah there's going to be a lot of things that are going to pop up and i i think we're going to hear a lot about high farm salmon prices um companies there in europe are really really struggling especially smokers and you know it's it's common for processors to say hey prices are too high that makes that makes obvious sense but you know, the idea that consumers are starting to push back against these high prices, you know, we're always skeptical when we hear that as well, but it does seem like there are signs that people are switching, that people can't really move uh, farm salmon the way that, uh, the, the way that they have been in the, in the past. That could mean very good things for cod, for other species, uh, but that's definitely going to be one, one to watch. I also think there's been very interesting developments in the Alaska Pollock sector. Um, the U.S. industry is absolutely targeting Germany in an aggressive way, and and I think that's extremely positive. Now, on the other hand, Russians are also targeting 
Um, and, and just this week, they, they, uh, the Russian government said, hey, we want to encourage our, our harvesters to produce value-added products and target the, uh, target the European uh, market more, more specifically. So I think between those uh, uh, groups kind of pushing on the, the German uh, frozen fish sector, we could see some interesting things happen. This focus on single frozen versus twice frozen will be interesting. Um, and I think just in general, we're about to see how things, um, are going to play out, uh, with Trident now, uh, being in there with pick and pack and, and just in general, um, the, the need to raise the prices for frozen, uh, for frozen fish, Pollock based frozen fish in Germany and in the UK until the big companies, the nomads, the Findices, etc., until they, begin to embrace the the fact that quality matters that even in fish fingers even even that product that people are just kind of buying on a whim that's cheap if they don't embrace quality you you're really gonna you're really gonna see a, a continued decline and there is a a rapid decline certainly in the uk so we'll we'll hear i think a lot about that and i also think there's no way that we're going to avoid brexit discussions uh, Trump as well, but Brexit in particular hits the European sector a lot harder. And there's just a lot of concern about what it's going to mean. And now that it is a reality uh, that, that the world has to face, it's really going to upend the UK processing sector in so many different ways uh, and, and have a, a major impact on countries like Iceland, Norway, uh, and and uh, other parts of the EU as well. So rest assured, we're we're going to be covering that very closely. We have a series in the works of this, really going to dive down uh, deep on that. So I'm looking forward to, uh, to re- revealing that to our readers soon. Um, and and I think just in general, I expect there to be a fairly good fairly good spirits. Actually, you know, I think there's a lot of consolidation happening. There seems to be a lot of uh, positive momentum for the industry, embracing the health issues. Uh, embracing new products. I think in general, the industry is beginning to value its resource more. And I think that is an absolute positive. And I think that getting away from just focusing on price uh, is absolutely key for this industry. And I'm really encouraged that I see more of that. So I expect we'll see a lot of new products. We'll see a lot of of people smiling. Yeah. And I think you saw that spirit in Boston, at least that's how it felt to me that, you know, we've been to so many of these in some years, it's, it has a funeral feel to it. And, uh, you know, that, that certainly wasn't the case this year. So people must be making money is my theory. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, that's a good thing for, for everybody. Uh, one other thing I want to just do a little bit of a, of a preview, Kim, of something that you're working on. Uh, you've been reporting on uh, theft in the seafood sector and in particular, kind of focusing on the on the U.S. industry, it's always fascinating to me how these companies actually uh, deal with theft, how they prevent it. But even more fascinating to me is how then do these thieves go out and distribute this, and how do they actually make it work, and how do they do it without getting caught? Because certainly, uh, digging through our archive, there there have been quite a few times that people have essentially gotten away with it for this seafood theft article i've been working on it's been pretty interesting i didn't know much going into this and now i've realized that's a little all over the place in terms of the value that's being stolen and how and where 
for example, it could be a couple of hundred dollars worth of clams stolen off a delivery truck in New York City, or lobster crates being stolen off of vessels up in Canada. But then you also get some of these bigger cases. Um, last year in June, this man was busted for stealing $300,000 worth of shrimp. Um, another one more recently, just in March, $200,000 worth of scallops were stolen. Um, for my article, I talked to just several people in the industry from law enforcement to seafood companies and cold storage units. It's definitely something that they all look to prevent and be proactive about, but it is still at the end of the day a risk that comes with being in the industry. One interesting fact I learned along the way was that seafood was the number six thing shoplifted this past holiday season. And there's been some crazy stories out there, including one with a guy who shoved frozen shrimp down his pants and rode off on a bicycle. Um, it's been a pretty interesting article to research for, though. Thanks, Kim. Look forward to that. Well, that's it for this episode. We want to remind you a uh, little plug that we have our New York City Seafood Investor Forum coming up at the end of May. Uh, don't miss it. It's a fantastic event. Really encourage uh, encourage people to, to come. Um, always gotten great feedback on it. You can learn more about that at www.intrafishevents.com. And remember that you can find exclusive comprehensive news, market updates, and more on intrafish.com. And you can also find us on social media, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, etc. Thanks, John and Kim, and thanks to our listeners. Bye.